Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, sitting here with Sam Ziggy Rodriguez. That's me. I ate Ziggy, so we're missing Tom again. Oh, we are. It's so sad. And, uh, you know, we, we actually, we can't name the sponsor because this is a program. And we, right. You know, uh, but there is a, 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 a sponsor that has him. They've called him to a special convention that, uh, we'll just say it involves hair. It involves hair. And, you know, this has caused some people in the Vatican to throw their arms up in the air because they don't want there to be an instance of simony where people are yeah. commercializing Tom's something hair. Something that's being venerated, you yeah. know, <laughs> approved Now, that's for not official yet, by the way. No, oh, yeah, that's right. We, 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 we've heard rumors, but that's all, all we have. It's, yeah, it's approved for winking and smiling, not yes. yet veneration. <laughs> oh, so, you can't take pilgrimages to Tom's hair. Yeah, no. but but we're 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 praying for that. Now that all silliness aside, we <laughs> wish Tom well and we hope him uh, uh, a speedy recovery or speedy turn. He's not recovering. He's, <laughs> I guess he's not even sick. Uh, but but you know what? He's, he's probably sick of these sick. jokes. I think that's probably right. Speedy recovery <laughs> from these jokes. Okay, so this is a beautiful and very important weekend. It's one of the neatest weekends in the church. I love the feasts that have like just they're so rich and deep in meaning. Um, and I pretty much can guarantee that this weekend you'll be uh, preached to about the Eucharist because this is the solemnity of the most holy body and blood of Christ, uh, also known as Corpus Christi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a, it's a wonderful feast of the church, and pretty much everybody says this is an opportunity. It's a great opportunity to preach about Eucharist, the meaning of it, um, the, the, the graces received in Eucharist. Uh, and and I and I think that you know if you just even start any delving into Eucharist is gonna is gonna yield some beautiful beautiful fruit spiritual fruit uh, and so it's gonna be a beautiful weekend for that I thought that maybe we could maybe go a little I don't say deeper how how can you go deeper than the Eucharist right but to help us understand Eucharist even more hmm. uh, you know I was just thinking in terms of the incarnation and the reason why was because uh you know as i see the eucharist i see this as the sort of epitome of the the fruits of the incarnation so we know that jesus was was is god mm-hmm. and he took on flesh and dwelt among us we, we we read that in the scriptures and everyone believes that jesus is god uh all the christian churches teaches teach that Jesus is God, mm-hmm. you know, all the mainstream. I mean, pretty much everybody understands Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a Trinitarian God. Jesus is God. The Father is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And so, but this idea of the incarnation is something that I think a lot of time escapes attention. And we know that Christmas, when we celebrate the literal incarnation of Jesus, when he was when he took on flesh, when he was born of the Virgin Mary, mm-hmm. and we all know that story. And sometimes we'll talk about why he was born, uh, and one of those reasons for the incarnation, if we want to try to put some kind of human understanding to it, is that he was born to die, right? He was born to Mm. die for our sins. But then there's also this beautiful gift of Eucharist that comes to us because of the incarnation. We, we We wouldn't have Eucharist if we didn't have incarnation. And so that's why I want to key in on this idea of the most holy body and blood, of Christ. 
You know, one thing that comes to mind as we have these days that's pervasive, uh, for those who have not succumbed <clears throat> to atheism or agnosticism, a lot of them have succumbed to a form of deism where they completely depersonalize God. Right. right? He's out there, but he doesn't really have, uh, you know... A stake in the game. He's not really involved in your day-to-day life. Right. And if we ask ourselves, like, why is the incarnation important? Well, it is literally the thing that makes it possible for an omnipresent, omnipotent, eternal, infinite God to also be intimately involved in the everyday instances of our lives, everyday right. moments of our lives. It is It is the literally the impossible made possible. Yes. I mean, it's just, it's un. You know, we love to watch the movies about all the impossible and about the miracles and about the things that we we like. Wow, I'd love to see a movie about that. That couldn't possibly happen. And but we flock to those movies, and yet we have that in reality playing out at every mass. Yes, and that that's kind of a neat thing. So I thought we would just talk about the incarnation a little bit, help people further understand, go deeper into the concept of incarnation and what that really means uh, for us. And so the, the the word incarnation it comes to us from the Latin incarnare, right? And literally, what that means uh, is. Uh, in in the Latin is is into becoming mm. right and carnare carn or caro are for flesh mm. so basically it literally means into flesh wow and it and it speaks specifically about uh, I mean all the definitions if you look up the definition in any pretty pretty much any dictionary the first thing that comes out is going to be you know something that'll say something like um, that embodied in flesh or human form. Uh, then it'll say something like, especially a deity or God. Wow. Right. So, I mean, essentially, that's this is what we come to know. It's, it's God becoming flesh. And literally, the, uh, we get the word incarnate. It's used in the Latin, uh, in the Latin version of the New Testament. Uh, we, we have uh, John uh, chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh. Mm-hmm. And dwelt, took his dwelling among us. So it's just about, it's about Jesus, word capital W, became flesh, incarnare, incarnate. Jesus is God incarnate. You know, a lot of folks wonder, well, gee, the Catholics, are there really things in the early church fathers outside of things like John 6 that back up what uh, the church teaches about the Eucharist? No, total disconnect. And none of the church fathers <laughs> ever talked about Eucharist. <laughs> well, Justin Martyr from, I believe it was around 150, something like that. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. extremely close to the His time apology. of Christ. Yes. yes. And if you and what you just said, Deacon, just, uh, Deacon Jeff, actually links up with his proof that he gives as to why it can be that it is the true flesh and, and blood of, of Christ, because he said he uses the incarnation as as a proof. He says right. in the same way that he was able to into, enter into flesh, yep. he's able to enter into this mystery of becoming the body and blood of Christ. And that's so incredibly Im- important to us to understand, because what it, what it then means is that Jesus is God. Mm. Jesus is man. Mm-hmm. He's fully God, and he's fully man. Again, we're, we're you know, how is this possible? One plus one <laughs> equals one, right? It's, 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 it's the new math. It's the, the math of the impossible made possible. Mm. And, and that's something that it's hard for us as humans to wrap our minds around. Mm-hmm. But I think we really need to, to totally understand what's happening when we receive the Eucharist. Right? Th- th- this great mystery is, is becoming a reality uh, in us. Mm. around us for us by us um and and it's like it's god among us it, god jesus 
takes on flesh uh, among us and walks among us, he's present to us. And so in Eucharist, he's continually present to us and made present in this unbloody sacrifice at the Mass. And aren't we, it's, it's funny because a lot of times when folks, they, they first give their life over Christ and they kind of sometimes, I know I, I did this when I first had my big reversion experience, mm-hmm. I started thinking of myself as completely divine and forgot that I was human, right? Like I was so swept up in the fact that, ah, Yeah, that's all past. The sin is all past. It's no longer that. Now I'm this new creation. Right. Hallelujah. Right. But How it, long before you sinned again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if we really want the fullness of the experience, we have to embrace both the, the human and the divine. Right. Because that's, full, that's what it requires to fully embrace the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So understanding the humanity of Jesus is vitally important to understanding the incarnation. Mm. He didn't just come and become like kind of a fake human. <laughs> he didn't just come to look like a human. But he didn't really experience pain because then what would, it would be meaningless. Mm-hmm. You're not really feeling pain on that crucifix. Mm. I mean, you're God. You don't feel pain, right? Mm-hmm. You can overcome the pain. You can whatever's like, but he embraced all of that in its totality. Right. You know, and it's mind-boggling. And, you know, the scriptures spend a lot of time talking about the humanity of Jesus. Yes. And if you stop and think about it, how many times scripture passages refer to Jesus, first of all, like being born of a woman, born under the law, like how everybody else was born. Mm. You know, I'm, you know, you know, a couple of slaps <laughs> and here he is. Welcome to, uh, to welcome to the world, little Jesus, you know. Right. In the same way that we all come into the world, I mean, certainly with the Virgin Mary, there was some divine (laughs) happenings there. I'm not saying that, but his humanity, like physical frailty of a baby, Mm -hmm. right? That was all real. And certainly we we know through scripture passages that Jesus slept. We know that he ate. We know that he perspired, that he bled, that he cried. And we know that he died. Mm -hmm. We know that he experienced emotions, like we experience, mm-hmm. right? He, we, he, we know that he experienced joy, or sorrow, um, righteous anger, mm-hmm. right? We, we know that he experienced all this stuff. He even called himself a man. He didn't deny his manhood. He didn't say, well, you know what, guys? I'm not really a man. I'm mm. really a God wearing some kind of man clothing, you know? And it's like, no, he, he never said that. So he never denied his divinity, and he never denied his humanity, and he lived both of them fully. And and that part um, is so neat. And if you stop and think about it, why do you think the Scriptures spend so much time after his resurrection talking about, like, Jesus eating? Why was it important that he would eat? Because, you know, the Scriptures want to point out and help everyone understand he's not a ghost. Right. He's not some kind of now... Um, sort of not real being. It's like, oh, it's the holy something Jesus who's no longer physical, that he actually resurrected, that his body came back to life, Mm. that he brought life back to his body. So it's like, I'm eating. Check me out. I'm eating. I mean, have you seen the the, the funny kind of, you know, whenever we see the ghosts and stuff in some of these movies and like this ghost will like drink a bottle of whatever and water will come squirting out, you know, because it's like that's saying like, see, he's not real. It's not it's not staying in there. Mm -hmm. And yet for Jesus, it was all staying in there. He was eating. And so it's like this idea of of Jesus being human is so important to scripture um, so that we realize that God saved us. Not only in his divinity, but through his humanity. 
and to save not just our souls but also our body that our bodies are are called to share that's right see see that's the connection that we need to make uh you know jesus died and he rose again literally Mm -hmm. he didn't figuratively or ghostfully rise again it's not like those other commercials or not commercials but uh movies and things cartoons where like somebody dies and got little x's over their eyeballs and then like this sort of ghostly thing rises up out of the body that's not what jesus did it was able to walk through walls, but it was still also completely it's like a glor- body. It's a glorified body. It's a glorified, it's a pretty cool body. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't need, uh, like, Axe deodorant or anything anymore. You know, should we have mentioned Axe? I'm sorry for all those who are big Axe followers. But my point is, it's like understanding that there is this, um, well, it was called, it is called the hypostatic union, this, yes. this, this connection between his divinity and his humanity, right? They are separate but inseparable. You know, and it's like this beautiful sort of union, right? And and so that's important to understand because if we understand that, then we understand that what happens, what how he saved us with his not only spirit, yes, right, the spiritual aspect of salvation, but the physical aspect of salvation mm. of the body rising again. See, the phys- he saved us through his resurrection, through his crucifixion. In his resurrection, physically and spiritually. Well, in the same way, he continues. Day in and day out, every time we have Mass, every time we participate in that one sacrifice, Mm. and we participate in that physically and spiritually, which means that when we receive Eucharist at Mass, we're receiving physical and spiritual Jesus. Mm. Body, blood, soul, and divinity completely. Right, real, total, full, true. Right, it's not a, it's not a ghost, it's not a concept, it's real. Mm. And see, that's all because of the incarnation. Because the incarnation was real, that means Eucharist is real. It's not a symbolic thing. It's not just a wafer of bread. It's not a concept of salvation. Right, it's the real deal. It's that which we, we've seen with our eyes and touched with our hands. Amen. Yeah. Right, and then we, only possible because it's physical. Yes. Right. So we got we got a little more to talk about on this, but uh, uh, we're gonna we're, we're we're busting the incarnation wide open, so we can <laughs> see in there, you know, God lifting the veil and letting us peek into eternity. Yes. To kind of see what this is, and and hopefully hopefully help us understand more fully what we're uh, what we're engaging in in this. Um, solemnity of the most holy body and blood of Christ. Uh, we're going to talk more when we get back after this break. Before we do that, I want to remind folks at home, we've got a great website, thecatholiccafe.com. Also, uh, I'd love you to send me an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And... Oh, please, yes. Uh, like us on Facebook and on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us, and please uh, like and share our posts and comment. It makes a difference. Amen. So with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. The world has long wrestled with belief in God, belief in a supreme and loving creator who transcends all things, all spaces, and all time. And countless words of wisdom have been written through the ages by Catholic and non-Catholic thinkers alike about the meaning, importance, and construct of faith. American writer and poet Elizabeth York Case writes, There is no unbelief. Whoever plants a seed beneath the sod 
and waits to see it push away the clod. He trusts in God. St. Thomas Aquinas, doctor of the church, writes, To one who has faith, no explanation is necessary. To one without faith, no explanation is possible. If a man wishes to be sure of the road he treads on, St. John of the Cross tells us, he must close his eyes and walk in the dark. Faith, says Helen Keller, is the strength by which a shattered world shall emerge into the light. First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt writes, He who loses money loses much. He who loses a friend loses much more. He who loses faith loses all. St. Augustine, early father of the church, reminds us, Faith is to believe what you do not see. The reward of this faith is to see what you believe. In St. Matthew's Gospel, Jesus himself speaks of the great power and promise of this gift of faith. He tells us, For truly I say to you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. As defined in our Sunday Visitor's Catholic Dictionary, faith is the first of the theological virtues. Together with hope and love, faith brings about the life of sanctifying grace in the human person. Faith is truly a gift from God. We cannot manufacture it or create it out of nothing. It is not a faucet that we can turn on or off. No, it is indeed a beautiful and precious gift given out of love to each of us from God. And by definition, because it is a gift, it must be received. And once received, it must be nurtured, tended, cared for, cultivated, and developed. Faith must be lived or it will die. It is only in living a life of faith that we are truly alive. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff talking to Ziggy Rodriguez, and we are... Oh, yes, say hi. Hey! I want people to make sure you know you are, you are incarnate, <laughs> yes. that you are in the flesh. Um, and so we're talking about Eucharist. We're talking about the solemnity of the most holy body and blood of Christ, this great and beautiful feast of Corpus Christi. And um, certainly we're talking um, about that in the context of the incarnation and just the idea of the body and blood. You know, the Old Testament is kind of neat because the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, we're prepared for this concept to mm. come to a reality. And a lot of people don't think through all this stuff, but, you know, there were reasons why there were these um, uh, prohibitions to eat the blood of animals. Mm. Because, see, then it was all, it was the, the blood was the lifeblood, mm. right? The, and in fact, uh, it was kind of weird in the Old Testament if you ate the body and blood of your enemy. It was like vanquishing your enemy. Their life, you weren't allowed to. It was forbidden. Uh, it, mm. And it was an expression used in the Old Testament. There's lots of cool Old Testament packet, uh, passages that talk about, you know, we, we ate their body and blood. They weren't literally eating, but it's almost like we ate them alive. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so that's why it would have been, and why a lot of people were like going, wait, Jesus just said he wants us to eat him. Wouldn't that be... You know, claiming victory over him, right? Because that's the perspective that they saw that in, and so we start to realize that that's because 
uh, and, and like the blood sacrifice of animals. You know, yes. you weren't allowed to eat the lifeblood. That was the divine life. You couldn't eat that back in the back in the day, right? It was forbidden. Well, and I think your point here is 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 very relevant because a lot of us forget that the sacrifice of the mass is called that because it's for the forgiveness of sins. Amen. We're, we're, we're calling to mind our sins at the beginning of Mass and bringing them to the fore for a particular reason, to be prepared to eat the Lamb, which is Jesus Christ. I know. And see, that's the, the, the thing. Again, as you're, it, just, it blows my mind, and it goes all over the place sometimes during Mass, but I always see all these images and realize uh, you know, the, the, the concept and the idea that, um, that you know, sin was brought into the world because mm. a man and a woman— ate the fruit of the tree of life. Yes. Right? And then eternal salvation, life was brought into the world. So death came through eating the, from the tree of life, eating mm-hmm. the fruit from the tree of life. Death can you know, so that's where death came. Life, eternal life comes from eating the fruit of the tree of death. Which is the cross. The cross is the tree of death. I mean, Acts of Apostles refers to the cross as the tree. They took him down from the tree, it says. Mm. And so we're called to eat that fruit which brings us life so in other words jesus fixes everything and the way he fixes everything is by by being enfleshed taking on all that our flesh has failed in doing and essentially raising it up and in his death and then resurrection helping us to know that all of us can be risen up in that same fell swoop that same uh, eternal one-time sacrifice and so you're right the sacrifice of the mass is what takes place this what's happening on the altar mm-hmm. i mean every time we have mass now we do it we represent the one-time sacrifice in an unbloody way would be the technical way we look at it because mm-hmm. we don't re-sacrifice jesus right he only had to do this the one time but it's important that we recognize that he did that yes and that he did that in his body as well as his spirit he, the scriptures tell us he gave over his spirit. You know, one question a lot of folks have is, why did Jesus have to die? If, if God is love, you know, why, why doesn't this create some sort of a bloodthirsty image of God? And a couple of things. First of all, Jesus said in John 10, no one takes my life from me. I freely lay it down, A. But then B, what do we do when we're, sin- when we're lost in sin? What are we typically out of touch with? We're out of touch with the fact that there are consequences to our actions. Mm, yeah. You know, and what this is a constant reminder for us is, is our actions do have consequences. And Jesus took on all the consequences of every sin that's ever occurred and ever will occur upon himself, including the sins that we've committed, including the sins that others have committed against us. Right. Our sins are physical as yeah. well as spiritual. Yes. I mean, and so this is what I love about the sacraments. This is what I love about our faith. This is what I love about the Eucharist. Uh, essentially, it's natural, it's nature, and supernature, supernatural mm. together. Right? So sacraments, what are they? They are, um, they are essentially things of the earth, things that have been created by God, who, which are blessed and set apart and bring us supernaturally God's divine life. They're, so so the, the water at baptism, the, the oils uh, at baptism and confirmation and the, uh, the anointing of the sick, right? And so we start to realize that, that in our physicality, it needs to be ministered to as well. And sacraments will minister to not only the physical, but the spiritual. Mm. And, and, and if you look at and realize the Eucharist is that way, then you start to – because it's like think about confession. 
You know, we we sin with our bodies, mm-hmm. right? There is the matter of this of this physical sin, but we get to actually hear with our own ears that we are forgiven. Mm-hmm. And think about, I mean, that's, that's, that's being ministered to in our physicality. It's not just this burning in the bosom to know that I'm forgiven. That's right. beautiful. And pray for that. But the reality is you actually get to hear it in confession. And, and the thing that makes it important is that God created us to need it, to desire, to yearn for those words, to yearn for the experience to receive him physically and experience and know that God has actually crossed to our side and knows what it's like to be us and that he is a personal God. And yes, he knows everything. He knows what's going on in the quantum reality of distant galaxies, but he also knows what we just did and why. And he loves us anyhow. Oh, that, and, the, and the he loves us anyhow part is, is vitally important to that mix. Because again, he doesn't love the future us, mm-hmm. right? He loves the bruised and the broken us. And yeah. that, that part, that, I take solace in that. I mean, and, and all of us should, because a lot of us think that, like, I'm not good enough for God. Right. Well, you're good enough that he died for you, as you are right now. I mean, he died for our sin. Mm. And so, again, all, we see all that in these, in these, these beautiful um, sacraments. And I, I love when we, see, when we receive Eucharist, right, again, it's physical and spiritual. I mean, mm. we believe that is actually the body and blood of Jesus, physically as well as spiritually. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. Right. Mm-hmm. And and certainly the only way that would have been possible is through the incarnation, because if we had Eucharist, but no incarnation, there would be, there would be no body and blood of Jesus. There would be the concept of salvation. Oh, wow. Come and receive this bread and it'll just remind you or make you think that God loves you so much that we'd feed you bread. And you're thinking, I can go down the store and buy bread. Mm-hmm. Why do I need God? And you, you start to realize the power where Jesus took on flesh and died for us. And that he himself is our provision. Amen. Right. Yeah. yeah. So he sustains us. God, will you provide for me? Right. I give you myself. Right. So, so, <laughs> so think about this in, uh, in your sort of classically constructed church. You're going to see this big giant crucifix standing over a tabernacle, sitting right behind a big altar. Yes. As the classical kind of presentation. And what you realize is that is made possible. That's your salvation and your continuing salvation made possible through the incarnation and through Eucharist. Amen. Let's ask Mary to pray with us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Holy Mary, Mother Mother of God, God, pray pray for for us sinners sinners, now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You can also find us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association. Join us again at The Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.